chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thank you, Alice, for reading that very voluminous scripture. But I wanted you to hear that 16th verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. I wanted you to hear it in context, the context of Jesus talking to one who wanted to get to know him, who was a Pharisee, one who was not immediately a follower of Jesus. So in context, that 16th verse was put there to remind us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that's all you need to do to punch your ticket to the eternal kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Spirit of living God, fall fresh now on this preacher and on these who or under the sound of my voice, whether live stream or in the worship center, that we may hear fresh your great love for all of us. In the name of our older brother Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, friends, we continue our Lenten series on living inside out. In the inside out life, we take a deep dive inside to, to examine our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Then we allow the Holy Spirit to resurge our spirituality. After that resurgence, we take that power to live with the mind of Christ and live it out in our church and in our world and in our community. Former President Jimmy Carter has been in the news lately because of his ill health. And it reminded me that when 
President Carter took office in 1976, he became the first president that I could remember to openly express that he was a born-again Christian. Born again is not a tactic or a political maneuver shrewdly employed to gain an advantage. It is not a tongue-in-cheek phrase used to describe any switch in which our positions may take over time. But to be born again, friends, is to have a new life in Christ that was transformed inside to be lived out on the outside as a witness for the anointed one. To be born again is to have a new attitude in Christ. To be born again is to have a new direction and purpose in Christ. President Carter ignored his critics and continued to own his new life in Christ without shame nor embarrassment. And I was happy to see him live it out after his presidency sparking worldwide revivals in doing such small things as nailing a nail in a new home. Sisters and brothers, every Christian should wear our born-again status on the outside for others to see the Christ in us, not in a braggadocious way, but in a way that people can see love oozing out of us, the love that God has first shown us. Every day we should commit ourselves to witnessing and serving God's cause, no matter what the world may say, because one day I truly believe that God is coming back for a church that confesses him as Lord and Savior and take us to that everlasting kingdom. Our gospel reading from John today is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. You see it at football games, basketball games, everywhere. It tells the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and a member of the Jewish ruling council who came to Jesus at night to ask him a question. I almost titled this sermon, Nick at Night, but then that's something different. <laughs> Nicodemus was curious about Jesus' teaching and wanted to know more about his mission to the world. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again if he wanted to enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that's here now, the kingdom of God that is present with Jesus, the kingdom of God that is something that Jesus came to initiate, fulfilled when we reach the outer shores of heaven. Nicodemus was confused by this statement. He asked Jesus, how was it possible for a person to be born again when they were already old? Jesus clarified that being born again does not refer to a physical rebirth, but a spiritual one. He explained that unless a person is born of water and the spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit. Being born of water refers to our physical birth. We're all experienced when we were born into this world. On the other hand, being born of the Spirit refers to the spiritual rebirth that takes place when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
And I want to say hurry up real quickly. It is not something that happens one time only and you're good to go for the rest of your life. If you like me, I have to be born again over and over and over again because I get tripped up with the things that happen to me in this world. This spiritual rebirth is necessary because we're all born into sin. Through the original sin of Adam and Eve, we are all separated from God. And in order to be reconciled with God, and become a part of his kingdom, his worldwide family on earth. We must be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Being born again is not just a one-time event. I want to emphasize it. It is a lifelong process of transformation as we grow in our relationship with Christ. We are called to live a new life, one that is guided by the Holy Spirit and characterized on the outside by love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Being born again means that we accept new life in Christ on the inside and it's manifested on the outside by making the kingdom, the kingdom of God a reality every day we can. If we want to enter into the kingdom of God, We must be born again through faith in Christ. Let us embrace this truth and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us on this Lenten series, on this journey toward transformation. We are called to live each day as a new creation in Christ. For it is only through him that we can find true life, true salvation, true meaning of who we are. Being born again. It's not just a religious phrase or a catchy slogan. It is a life-changing experience that transforms us from the inside out. Our text features Nicodemus, uh, one of the three richest men in Jerusalem and a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He was a man of considerable influence among his Jewish counterparts. He had immense popularity and well-connected and respected by people in high places. We see Nicodemus in three places in the book of John. We see him meeting Jesus for the first time in John 3, learning towards, leaning towards supporting Jesus in his trial in 7, 5, and through 51. We also see him in chapter 19, 39, as he wraps the body of Jesus. In each instance, Nicodemus was careful to hide his support of Jesus. Verse, chapter 19, verse 38 says that specifically that he came secretly to avoid negative feedback from the community leaders. Nicodemus could easily be described as a secret Christian, only an inside Christian. He was attracted to the gospel message and to the Savior himself. He desired to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he feared the wrath of his neighbors. He did many good things to help the cause, but he never openly lived the outside Christian life. Much is being said and written about the revival that is happening in Asbury Seminary and Asbury College down in Wilmore, Kentucky. And as I reflect on it, I thought about revival should be happening everywhere, at least every Sunday. We should be revived, re 
energized, rethinking our relationship with God. But I thought about the average Christian testimony. You know, that living, breathing testimony that was given to us at the moment of our conversion, the moment when we were sure that Jesus was the answer to all of life's perplexing problems. That moment, like Nicodemus, when we knew that Jesus had been sent from God because no one could perform the miracles that he performed unless he was sent by God. The moment, the hour when you realize that God so loved you that he really did give his son for you. Do you remember that moment? At that moment, you would have stood with Peter, his disciple, and declared, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus. What happened to the testimony of those baptized professing Christians all over the world? What happened to our testimony where we were able to say that Jesus is a man that came from God? Or we shouted it on the rooftops, sharing him with our friends, our neighbors, our aunts, our uncles, and our cousins? Or are we sneaking away at night like Nicodemus to offer Jesus our prayers as recompense? For his marvelous mercy. Are we waiting for the cover of night to declare in his presence that we believe him to be a man sent from God? That's got to be why I don't hear a lot of testimonies these days. We tuck them away under our pillow as if our nightly confession to the Lord is sufficient enough for service. When dawn breaks, we leave Jesus there on our pillow, the place where Jesus wept with us sometimes all night long. And we venture into the world alone for fear. Someone may discover that we are one of his followers. Yes, we go to the Lord under cover at night. Just like Nicodemus, we go to him for wisdom and strength. We go to him for grace and mercy. We go to him for peace and solutions to life perplexing problems. When we go to Jesus to have our lamps rekindled, our fire replenished, our hopes reborn, and when day breaks, we hide our light under a bushel basket. We always go to Jesus in the nighttime of our lives when the storms of life are raging and we have nowhere else to turn. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Jesus himself said, come unto me all ye that are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But this relationship we have with our elder brother Jesus has a reciprocal clause, doesn't it? Are we not sufficiently renewed by his power to go and tell it from the mountaintops? There will always be night times in our life. We will always have the periods of despair and longing, and Jesus is always there to comfort and console us. But this thing called faith is not just a nighttime exercise. It's more, a whole lot more. There are daytime battles to be fought and noonday testimonies to be shared. There are morning promises to be received and daily crosses There are thirsting sinners to be watered and drowning souls to be rescued. This 
thing called faith. It's more than a nightcap before repose. There are commitments to be honored. There are friends to be helped. There are talents to be used. There is work to be accomplished. There is a course to be completed and a goal to be reached. Friends, it's okay to go to the Lord for answers to life perplexing problems. But when the day dawns, we have to take those answers and put them into practice. It does no good to leave them on the nightstand tucked in our Bibles. Once God has ministered to us, we must minister to others. Once God has consoled us, we must console others. Once God has nurtured us and reassured us and persuaded us and given us guidance, we must awake to a new day of testimony about his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. Maybe the title of this sermon should have been Nighttime Christians. That's what Nicodemus was. He came to Jesus at night. He received the answer he was looking for. Then he returned home to the status quo. The scriptures don't really mention him outside of the Gospel of John or really doing any daytime work. There's no record of a daytime testimony, no record of his fervent witness and diligent service. He just disappears into the daylight hours. But I hope Nicodemus did more than that. I know that not everything was, was able to be placed in the scriptures. The, the scriptures contain a whole lot of miraculous things, but not every conversion, healing, or testimony, or witness made it into the canon. Our Lord Jesus Christ, during his three-year earthly ministry, did so many things. Not all of them could have been put on the written pages of the Bible. And I hope that Nicodemus was among those whose testimony, for some reason, didn't make the canon of the New Testament. But when the Lamb's book of life is opened in the last days, I don't want my testimony to be left out. I want it to be there. I want Christ's book to record that I started on this journey with him. And though I stumbled and failed many times, I didn't stop. I want the book to record that I helped rather than hindered, commended rather than criticized, blessed rather than burdened, and gave rather than gripped. I want mine to be a daytime testimony. I want it to be recorded that when my spirit was replenished, I went out in the day to stand, not stumble. I went out in the day to walk, not wander, to comfort, not confuse to dignify, not disgrace, to minister, not mark, to serve, not shame. I want the book of life to record that I worked, sometimes whining, but I still worked. I loved without reservation. I built up when others were determined to tear down. And I want the book of life to record that I did it all because Jesus loved me. First, finally this, brothers and sisters, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that word except is used in at least six other places talking about conversion. 
You see it in Luke 13. Except ye replenish, you shall perish likewise. Matthew 18. Except you be converted and become a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, in John 3, 5. Except a man born of water and spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, in John 6, except you eat the flesh of son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John 15, 4, except you are able to abide in me, you cannot be saved. But I hear Jesus saying, except a person be born again, they can't enter into the kingdom of God. That place where we began the work down here, the kingdom where we take our family here at Calvary and join with all Christians all over the world to represent God in a world that desperately needs to know that God is by their side. And then all unite together in that eternal kingdom. Jesus said you can't get to heaven without... Jesus said you can get to heaven without seeing Niagara Falls and walking through the Grand Canyon, but you can't get to heaven without being born again. He says, you can get to heaven without owning a Rolls Royce or a 10-carat diamond ring. You can get to heaven without having an overflowing bank account or a stylish wardrobe. You can get to heaven without a high school diploma or a PhD, without wearing a soft mink coat or being or touching the livery bell. You can get to heaven without listening to the music of Beethoven and marching in a and writing a best-selling book and being a star on Broadway. But Jesus says you can't get to heaven without being born again, without first believing that he is the son of the living God. To be born again is not a reformation of that's the same creature in, new, in a new suit. To be born again is not church membership, for that's the same person with their name on a church roll. To be born again, we have to abandon our purpose and activities and take away with us the purpose and activity of God in Jesus Christ for our lives. To be born again, we reach out to God in the name of Jesus. To be born again, we must tear down the old house and let God build a new house. The conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus highlights the importance of being born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And as we reflect on this passage, let us remember that it's not enough to have a physical birth or religious affiliation, but we must experience a spiritual rebirth through faith in Jesus Christ. The new birth brings about a transformation in our lives where we become a new creation, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for God's glory. May we all seek this new birth and commit ourselves to a life of obedience in God. May we continue daily to look for this new chance that the Holy Spirit can give us a new birth. It's not a one-time thing, but every time we stumble, if we recommit ourselves, God is there to pick us up. Gracious God, we thank you for all that you've done for us in our older brother, Jesus Christ, the one who did what we could not do for ourselves. 
who marched up a hill that we could not march up to be wounded for things he did not do on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen. The most visible sign of who we are in God. The most visible sign that God wants us to be a part of a new kingdom, a new family, a new world order are these communion elements. It wasn't by happenstance that God did this during a meal because it's at a meal where we are family. I know we Americans will sit down and eat with anybody. We'll go to McDonald's and get us a burger. But traditionally, when we sit down at table, we're sitting down with family members, with people we love. So Jesus uses that opportunity to plant a visible reminder to us that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. There's no little I's and big U's. God loves us all the same. So when they sat down for that supper in that upper room, Jesus watched them as they began to take bread as it was their normal custom. And when they had broken the bread, Jesus took that opportunity to say, as often as you do this, remember that this represents my body that was broken for you so that your body will never, ever have to be broken. Bless, O oh Lord, this bread that it may be for us, the broken body. Of Christ. And in my mind's eye, I can see Jesus carefully watching as the wine was poured so that they would have something to wash down that bread. And as they poured the wine, Jesus took that opportunity to remind them that as per Old Testament rules, some blood must be shed. This cup represents the blood, my blood. The blood that's going to change your life forever. The blood that's going to seal the relationship between you and my Father. This is the blood of the new covenant that was poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of them. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we eat of this bread and we drink of this wine, May we continue to remember that we are new persons because of Jesus Christ. That because of our relationship with our brother Jesus, we are new beings. We are to be lived out in a world that needs to know this communion. So as the ushers invite you to come, there will be a gluten-free station here in the middle and two stations at either aisle on this side. I invite the service to now come as we prepare for communion together.